Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the Faces of TBI podcast series. I am Amy Zellmer, founder of FacesofTBI.com and your host. Today, I'm going to be talking with Dr. Stephanie Barbikoff about stress, hormones, and solutions. Faces of TBI is a podcast series for survivors by survivors, raising awareness about traumatic brain injury, one podcast at a time. Those of you who might not know who I am, I am a TBI survivor from a fall on the ice in February 2014. I am a frequent contributor to the Huffington Post, Thrive Global, and the Goodman Project. And I am author of Life with a Traumatic Brain Injury, Finding the Road Back to Normal, available on Amazon. And I also launched the Brain Health Magazine. You can grab your free digital subscription at thebrainhealthmagazine.com. You can learn more about me and catch all previous episodes of the podcast at facesoftbi.com. You can also follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Amy Zellmer. And also don't forget to join my private Facebook group, Amy's TBI Tribe, to connect with other survivors, caregivers, and loved ones. Today, our guest is Dr. Stephanie Barbikoff, and she is a board-certified doctor of chiropractic and is a diplomate of the American Chiropractic Neurology Board. She is the co-founder of Oculus Brain Centers, a functional neurology clinic located in San Diego, which provides brain-based and drug-free solutions to neurological dysfunction. Dr. B is passionate about empowering and connecting with women through education. She specializes in women's health as it relates to hormones, fatigue, dizziness, and chronic migraines. Approximately 95% of her patients are women, and more than 75% of them have been diagnosed with a concussion. Having had a concussion herself, along with hormonal imbalances as a teenager, she hopes to provide you with the tools she wishes she had during her personal health challenges. Originally from New York, Dr. B is happy to have found her forever home in sunny San Diego with her partner, Dr. Ben Toronto, and their dog, Neuron. So welcome to the podcast, Dr. Barbikoff. So happy to have you here. Hi, I'm so excited to be here. I am, uh, I'm a big fan of yours, Amy, and I love what you're doing. Aww. I'm happy to, uh, to be a part of this today. Yeah, well, and I'm really excited to that we're talking about um, stress and hormones because I just think it is so under-talked about, <laughs> is that the yeah. right phrase, um, in the TBI community. And, like, you know, almost everyone, I mean, males and females, um, suffer from hormonal imbalance after a brain injury. And, you know, some put on weight, some lose weight and can't put on weight, and, um you know, all the emotional challenges that come with brain injury, some of that's directly related to the brain, some of that's related to the hormones. So really excited to jump into this today. Um, But first, I would love to have you share with the listeners how you came to work in the brain injury world. Yes. So um, as you're reading in the intro, thank you so much for that Nice warm intro. Um, I had sustained a concussion myself um, so many years ago. I think it's about eight years ago now, eight or nine years ago. I was in a car accident and had a whiplash injury. So as all of your um, listeners know, you don't have to actually hit your head. I just had a whiplash injury. 
and sustained a concussion, and I kind of got thrust into the alternative solutions world for um, helping with those symptoms after my concussion. Um, from there, I went to chiropractic college and started to learn about functional neurology, like most of the other functional neurologists around the world. We have Dr. Ted Carrick to thank for guiding our education and training. Um, I'm very much indebted to him and his whole team at the Carrick Institute for um, really exposing me to alternative ways to help people that are suffering from a traumatic brain injury. So really it came down to me helping myself and seeing the impact and um, just really a community in need. The traumatic brain injury community is is definitely underserved. Yeah. Um, but as more research comes out and the paradigm shifts, I think that um, more awareness is growing and thanks to people like you, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You know, kind of like your story, you know, I wish I do this because I wish I had the resources when I first had my injury. Right. So, you know, kind of, we both kind of have that similar drive. So let's jump into talking about, you know, stress and hormones and some solutions that might be available. Um, Let's just kind of dissect this a little bit and maybe just give a basic understanding of, you know, how hormones are affected with a brain injury. Yeah, absolutely. So, for me, there's kind of two parts. One is the stress side of things, and the other is the sex hormones side of things. And when we talk about stress and stress hormones, we're talking about cortisol. Um, cortisol is made by your adrenal glands. There are these tiny little nuggets that sit on top of your kidneys, and they control your stress response. Um, so that's kind of half of the battle for me is stress. The other one being the sex hormones, that can vary, obviously, from um, being a man or a woman. Um, So that camp is going to be the one that we can dive into because there's a lot of variation, actually, with traumatic brain injury, depending on if you're a man or a woman, and depending on if you're pre-post-menopausal. And so the the way I like to think about it is basically when we talk about um, TBI as it relates to sex hormones, we'll go there first. There's a really wonderful paper that came out a few years ago that actually talks about your menstrual cycle as a predictor of how you're going to do after a TBI, if you're going to respond um, well or not so well after a treatment. Oh, wow. Fascinating. (laughs) Isn't that so fascinating? Yeah. I'll tell you a little bit about this paper. Um, They had about 144 um, women who arrived at an emergency room within four hours of having a traumatic brain injury and they concluded that the menstrual phase, um, we'll talk about that a little bit more in depth, and more specifically progesterone levels at the time of the traumatic brain injury can affect your quality of life and your neurological outcomes. So if we talk about the menstrual cycle, just to keep it super simple, the um, first half of your cycle, so if you menstruate on day one, from day one to day 14, that's called the follicular phase. That's when the follicle is developing. And the second half is called the luteal phase. 
and that's because of the corpus luteum. We won't go into too much, too much depth around that. But during the luteal phase, your progesterone spikes, and that is what is the main predictor. So that's the problem. After a traumatic brain injury, there's this theory that basically the withdrawal or the sudden change in progesterone levels is what is the problem. So people have higher post-concussive symptom scores, um, greater cognitive issues, worse reaction time, things like that, if they're in that luteal phase when they hit their head or, or get a traumatic brain injury. Wow. So you're saying, I mean, in theory, if you like have your period when you have your accident, you're maybe more protected? Yep, exactly. Wow. Wow. Right? That is so interesting. This is the first time I really I've I've kinda heard rumblings of this, but never really anything um more specific. So yeah, that's fascinating. Yeah, I love I love diving into this stuff. And for me, I like we were touching on earlier, I think that this is kind of the missing piece. It's like this little keystone when you can unlock metabolic health and you can unlock hormonal health the outcomes at least in my clinic are are just so so much better Um, i'm sure functional neurologists around the country are seeing the same exact thing you really just need a little bit of stress and hormonal support and you can do that through lifestyle changes you don't have to do this through any like aggressive means Um, but just kind of acknowledging this piece can be so revolutionary for so many people so is that, in theory, why we think women struggle? So, so, for, so men don't have much progesterone, so exactly. therefore they wouldn't have the spike happening. Um, exactly. they're, they're loaded with testosterone. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the female, if she's in that phase of her cycle and has the spike of progesterone, therefore she might have worse or more lingering symptoms. So are you saying like that's kind of one of the key factors between men and women in that recovery and why seemingly, and I mean, not all men, but some seemingly have less problems with their recovery. Exactly. It's one of the reasons. There's a few different reasons. Of course, this is a, is a big one. Um, And also something else to consider is not all women are cycling, right? Some are pre- or Mm post-menopausal, so that was also acknowledged in this study. And also some women take synthetic hormones. And so sometimes, depending on what type of oral contraceptives like birth control that they're taking, that can actually be a protective mechanism for them. Um, So it depends on what type of... um, of hormones, of course, but that was also acknowledged in this study. So just another kind of component, right? Are we on wow. any, any medications or supplements or anything that's messing with our hormones? Wow. This is fascinating. Yeah. So, you know, okay, so we're talking about progesterone and the menstrual cycle and how that can affect um, our outcomes. Um, but then, you know, going back to the sex hormones as well, mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I, I find it so fascinating in my Facebook group. It's both sexes, men and women. Some have an increased sex drive. Some have a diminished sex drive after their injury. Right. And, um, you know, I find that 
so fascinating. And I mean, it makes sense if all of a sudden you're getting more of that hormone going on, like you're going to be more, you know, aroused. So, um, you know, take us through that a little bit, that component. Sure. So there's a few different um, kind of classic hormonal symptoms. So we have your androgens, which are basically your, quote, male sex hormones, even though women have them as well, just in different ratios, like you were talking about testosterone. Um, And then there's also your estrogen, uh, progesterone, things like that. So kind of like two different categories. If you have too many androgens, you might have symptoms like losing your scalp hair or increased body or facial hair, maybe some acne. If you Mm, don't have uh enough androgens, you might have things like vaginal dryness or a decreased sex drive, like a a decreased libido, like you're talking about. Mm -hmm. But then when we talk about the estrogen progesterone camp, if you have too much estrogen, maybe you'd be experiencing um, things like mood swings or heavy bleeding, since estrogen is one of the things that makes your uterine lining very um, thick during um, during your cycle. If you don't have enough estrogen, you might have things like hot flashes and night sweats. Think like um, what if you have thoughts. all of that? <laughs> yes, that's a good question. Um, and so, Heavy bleeding, mood swings, uh, night sweats. What yeah, was the other thing question. you just said? <laughs> Too many to name, but I but I uh, I have lots of patients that are just like you, and they don't fit into a box, right? That is really traumatic yeah. brain injury. You might not fit nice and neatly into one category or another. So we just need to evaluate case by case, of course. Testing is the biggest thing here. Um, In our clinic, we do what's called a Dutch test, um, dried urine for uh, total comprehensive hormones. And what it is, it's a saliva and urinary test, and it checks all of these things. It checks all of your stress hormones, your sex hormones, so we can actually get a look at what's going on um, during your cycle. For some patients, I do a cycle mapping um, where you take a sample every single day to map the course of your cycle and see where your sex hormones are at. But really evaluating case by case is the most important um, strategy here. And let's not forget that all of this regulation of hormones starts in the brain, right? And Mm -hmm, so after mm -hmm. traumatic brain injury, it's not necessarily the... Um, organs themselves or the glands themselves that are dysfunctioning, it's the circuitry, right? We've heard of the HPA axis, the hypothalamus, pituitary, and adrenal axis. There's also the hypothalamus, pituitary, gonadal axis um, that can be disrupted after a traumatic brain injury. So it's not uncommon um, for the circuitry to be a little wacky here. Yeah, this is fascinating. I'm like taking tons of notes as you're talking. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, so with women in the group, that's definitely yeah. a super common question that comes up about their cycle changing, whether they're having really heavy periods or they've stopped getting their period altogether. Um, right. and, you know, and all of those things are indicators that, that, that clearly something's going on. And like your traditional doctor's um, you know, so I'll give my example and mine got super heavy, like crazy heavy. Um, I was always very normal, I guess, for lack of a better word. Um, mm-hmm. and 
crazy heavy. And the doctor, like my OBGYN, she didn't really seem all that concerned about the brain injury. Um, and she just wanted me to get an ablation <laughs> of my uterus. And I'm like, that seems pretty invasive. Um, there's got to be something else we can do here. And it's like, oh, no, you won't have any regrets doing it. And I'm like, mm, you know, I don't know. It doesn't sound pleasant. Um so basically, an ablation is where they, like, burn the inside of your uterus. So therefore, you don't um, create a lining. Therefore, you don't have a period, um, which doesn't sound at all healthy <laughs> to me. Um, Agreed. That, that can, you know? <laughs> it can be good for some women, but maybe not the first um, line of defense right. against right. this type of symptom. So maybe, you know, not a bad strategy, just maybe not the first strategy. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. so my point was, you know, that my doctor didn't really seem to care at all about the brain injury. And she's like, oh, I don't think there's a connection there. And I'm like, you're kidding me. <laughs> like, how is there not, you know, and then, you know, and then there's the whole, well, maybe you're premenopausal. And I mean, at the time I was like 39, 40, which in theory it could happen, but not likely. Right. Um, yeah. Absolutely. And so it's, it's so frustrating. You get, 20,000 different answers when you go to different doctors and nobody seems to know what to do with you. Um, so yeah, super frustrating. Um, I feel like I interrupted you and I don't remember where we were going with it. No, not at all. <laughs> not at all. You just were in, you know, in, inspired and, and feeling empowered, like uh, validated almost, you know, by what we're yeah, talking about. Yeah. That's totally cool. I love when my patients interrupt me. It's the best. <laughs> you know, they're, they're excited. They're pumped, you know, and, and we're usually pumped. I love to talk about this stuff. This is really Oh, I know um, what I was saying. Important. Go ahead. I, I was saying how, how in the group that that's the question that comes up a lot is, like, they've either gotten heavier or they've completely stopped or they're completely sporadic, you know, like in theory, your, your period should be, you know, once a month, every 28 days or whatever it is. Um, and, you know, those become sporadic every three months, four months, whatever, right. um, which is incredibly frustrating, right? Yep. Um, so, so that's the female. So let's mm-hmm. look at the male a little bit. What are, what are some of the things men might be seeing noticeably um, and not making the connection that it's a hormonal problem? So a lot of the times um, I, I have to say, not to make any generalizations, but like you mentioned in the intro, the majority, have a heavy majority of my patients are women because women, um, they just report more. They're more forthcoming. Yeah. With They're more open. Symptoms, definitely. Um, and having some hormonal imbalances um, generally isn't something that men like to address. It's kind of like if they sprain their ankle or something, they'll let, they'll let their foot fall off before they go to the doctor as a general <laughs> right. rule, as a general rule. Um, but for men, symptoms are the same when we talked about those four kind of uh, categories, androgen, excess, and deficiency, and then um, estrogen excess and deficiency. So um, essentially men would notice um, androgen excess would be like increased sex drive, increased facial hair, like we talked about, some maybe aggressive behavior. Mm -hmm. Um, For androgen deficiency for men, they might have increased belly fat. They might be a little bit apathetic, have issues with um, decreased libido, erections, things like that. 
And then for men, they don't really have estrogen deficiency. That's just their baseline. So really you'd notice issues with estrogen excess, which would be um, weight gain, you know, developing more breast tissue. And then prostate problems is something that they would notice as well for estrogen excess. Um, And this is all, you know, the sex hormone side of things, not even – we haven't even touched any of the stress hormone things. Um, yes, let's go there. <laughs> yeah, the link, the link between stress hormones and sex hormones is that cortisol, your main stress hormone, yep. is the most important. It is, I can't even stress it enough, it does so much for you. It helps control your blood sugar, your metabolism, your, it reduces inflammation, it helps with memory. So it really has this, um, controlling or modulating effect on, you know, your sex hormones, your sleep cycle, your immune system. It's like amazing. Cortisol is so important that your body will create cortisol at the expense of anything else. And because they have a sim- cortisol has a similar backbone as your sex hormones, what your body does sometimes is it'll take your sex hormones and it'll shunt them over and turn them into cortisol because it's so important. And so this can throw your sex hormones out of whack because of your stress response. So that's the link. Oh, fascinating. Yeah. And, you know, stress, obviously, we all have it. And it's such a frustrating term because no one's immune to yeah. it. And you can't measure stress. Like, how, how do you know how stressed you are? You know? Yeah. You don't. It's, it's totally subjective. So it's not really a good term. So the term we like instead is cortisol, and we can actually physically measure your cortisol response. And cortisol, again, as a reminder, um, pumped out by the adrenal glands that sit right on top of your kidneys. And you should pump out a lot of cortisol um, in the morning when you wake up. It's kind of like a mini stress test for your adrenals is waking up. It's it's stressful. And so you should pump out cortisol um, within about 30 minutes of waking up. 30 to 60 minutes is when it's at its highest. And then over the course of, course of the day, you use it up and it gets lower and lower and lower. Some people after a brain injury can feel so sluggish and lethargic. And yeah. And some of that is because you don't have enough cortisol to get this nice awakening response in the morning to kind of get you up and out of bed. Um, so inflammation is something that's huge here that can affect the way that cortisol is working on your system. It can actually cause the brain to release more of the stimulating hormone um, and kind of cause this whole cascade to be out of whack. So that's something that we test for in our clinic, this cortisol response. And um, this is really validating for a lot of our patients to actually see on paper why they feel so um, lethargic, really, in the morning or even in the afternoon. You know this, the, the type of people that need that extra little boost in the afternoon, maybe an extra yep. cup of coffee mm-hmm. or something, that little slump, that can also be because of a, a cortisol issue. So what what are some solutions to all of these um the the stress 
and the sex yep. hormones. What what are some solutions to all of these things? Um, I know that that's your specialty. Um, so you've talked about the Dutch test and, and mm-hmm. the cortisol testing and, and uh, you know, um, there's a whole slew of lab work that you can do. Um, yep. So what what are some of the solutions once you have gotten um, results from these tests? Sure. So I even want to give you solutions for people that don't go the test route. I'm going to give you some broad solutions um, just for anyone listening. Um, yeah, great. I, I think that'll be really helpful because if you get the test done, then that opens us up to really be more customized and um, it can go in so many different directions. So I want to give your listeners kind of like some little golden nuggets while we're, we're chatting. So, of course, the best way to go uh, is evaluation to find the root cause, right? That's going to be the, uh, the gold standard is to figure out the individualized solution for that person. If we can't, general ways to improve energy, which is going to be um, really regulating your cortisol response, is to be to control um, inflammation. You can do that through changes in your diet, of course, removing any processed foods, excess sugar, but also blood sugar regulation. Spiking and crashing your blood sugar throughout the day uh, is a great way to, to stir up inflammation and to mess with your energy. If you're feeling anything after you eat a meal, it's a problem. You shouldn't feel energized. And you shouldn't feel so sleepy that you want to fall asleep. You should just feel satiated. If you feel very energized, that means you were probably a little bit hypoglycemic, have low blood sugar before you ate, and you went a little bit too long and your blood sugar was really low. If you Mm -hmm. feel very lethargic after, you probably have too much blood sugar circulating. You could have an insulin issue. Um, which means that there's lots of sugar and nutrients circulating in your blood, but it can't get into your cells to actually be utilized. So blood sugar regulation is something we work um, very, very diligently with our patients in our clinic to help them regulate their blood sugar. It just means switching out some cheap carbohydrates and sugars for more robust, healthy fats and proteins. So it's just an easy little swap. And in our, in our clinic, there's no gimmicks. There's no calorie counting. It's basically just small changes that you can make on a consistent basis day by day. And then before you know it, you, are, you have a healthier lifestyle. And I like that you're saying, you know, small changes, because anyone who's had a brain injury, the thought of change is overwhelming. Um, yep. And, you know, we, we're so inundated with hearing, like, you have to go paleo or yep. or keto or gluten-free or dairy-free. And, and I mean, that's really yep. overwhelming, right? And I so agree. I like that you're just saying, let's, let's, like, let's take little baby steps and swap. You know, totally. let's just swap your cereal in the morning for right. an egg, right? Like, yeah. Exactly. So I, exactly. I love that. Yeah, that's really my motto is really just make one small change today that you weren't able to make yesterday. That's all. And just, you know, one day at a time. And that's how a lot of us live, especially in the TBI community, is just one day and one decision at a time. And that's okay. And that's really okay. Mm-hmm. Um, some other solutions um, we can use exercise, gentle exercise, even stretching, yoga, things like that that are just uh, conscious ways of moving to improve your energy. And you want to use this when you have your slump. So if you can't get out of bed in the morning, you really just want to roll yourself out of bed and you can just you know, stretch for five minutes. 
if you get that slump in the afternoon, then maybe you want to time your gentle exercise for that afternoon time because that's going to increase your cortisol and that can give you a little bit more energy during that time. Um, another way to improve energy dura during the day and regulate your cortisol is actually to regulate sleep. And um, that's also called your circadian rhythm, your sleep-wake cycle. And some great ways to help with sleep are, um, of course, if you've heard of sleep hygiene. It's basically mm -hmm. sleep in a very, very dark room. No lights, no sounds, nothing that's going to wake you up or not allow you to um, drift into a more deep sleep. When you wake up in the morning, you want to do it with some bright lights. So think about going over to the curtains and ripping them open and letting the sunlight pour in. That really ignites your awakening response, and that's something that's going to give you your cortisol for the rest of the day. This is that big wake-up response. Um, no snoozing your alarm. That's another one because then you just go back to sleep, and then you're awake, and then you're <laughs> sleeping again. Yep. Snoozing your alarm is a, is a deadly one. We don't like that too much. And then also at nighttime before you go to bed, I forgot this one, is basically getting off of any of your screens, if you are doing any screen time. Of course, in the TBI community, we're very much aware of blue light and how it affects our brain, especially the midbrain. And so getting off of any screens and doing maybe some, some gratitude journaling or some deep breathing just to get yourself in the right mindset before you drift into sleep. Those are really good ways to regulate your circadian rhythm, your sleep-wake cycle, which is only going to help um, to de-stress and to help with your energy the next day. Um, one other tool that I love that I learned from my cousin years ago, anytime you're trying to fall asleep and you have a really busy mind, you don't want to suppress any of the thoughts that are coming up. So what you want to do is imagine you have a deck of cards, like a hand of cards, in your in your palm and say you have four or five cards each one should represent a category maybe your finances maybe your health your traumatic brain injury maybe your family loved ones whatever your topics are your categories and then one by one you want to acknowledge each of those categories and whatever keeps coming up for you that's making your mind very busy before you fall asleep and just take that card out of your hand and just place it down and it doesn't mean you're going to put it back into the deck and forget about it. It means that you're going to pick that hand back up in the morning when you're ready to kind of acknowledge it further and dive into it. But it's a way of physically um, setting your mind at ease before you go to sleep. And for me, the practice of putting one card down at a time until I don't have any more cards in my hand, now when I practice this technique, I don't even get to the end of my hand, and I'm already, I wake up the next morning, and I'm like, oh, I didn't even get to the end of my hand. You know, it was so successful. Yeah, that's an awesome trick. Yeah, um, so I love that well, one. And um, do you have any other, um, we talked about reducing inflammation, regulating your blood sugar, exercise, and sleep regulation. Um, was that the end of your list, or did you have any others? Yeah, I mean, there's there's too many to go through, really. We could, we we could, could go on a whole for half days. hour yeah. on that. <laughs> but really, you want to just look at all these lifestyle factors. And when I hear lifestyle factors that can influence stress and hormones, I feel empowered because lifestyle factors can be 
um, modified. And so if you're sitting at home and you're listening to this and you don't know what to do, looking up um, these types of tools, ways to de-stress, help with sleep and help with energy are things that you can control. And in a world where, especially today, it's so topical, where there's so much that we can't control, your movement and your, and your nutrition and um, the way you breathe and the way you talk to yourself are the things you can control. And that's the best way to regulate your hormones and your stress hormones mm-hmm. um, is yes. by um, being kind to yourself and trying to find ways to um, empower yourself through this journey. Yeah, I like that. And one of my previous podcasts recently, too, I can't remember off the top of my head who it was. They talked about, you know, just taking control of what you can, what you are able to control when, you know, there's so many things we can't control, um, but you can control what you put in your mouth or what time you go to bed or, um, you know, what what exercise you choose to do. So, yeah. Um, So, Dr. Stephanie, are there any final parting thoughts that you have for our listeners today? Ooh, parting thoughts. Yeah, <laughs> I would just say, I would just, say um, just be gentle with yourself. Yeah. And it's, it's a marathon and not a sprint. And so small changes, just promise yourself to make some, some good changes tomorrow and, um, and don't fight off too much at one time. That's all. And just, you know, give yourself grace. Yeah. That's the best strategy. Yeah. That's, I like to say that a lot. Just give yourself grace. You know, we can't do it all. Just focus on one thing and, you know, maybe it's changing your breakfast, right? You're going to have an egg tomorrow instead of cereal. So just focus on that one thing and don't stress about all the other stuff. Yeah. That's awesome. Celebrate those accomplishments, right? Celebrate that. You know, you did that, and that's great. Yeah. Celebrate. Yeah. Well, this has been such a wonderful discussion, and as we said, we could talk for days about this. Um, (laughs) um, So I do have in the show notes your website, which is Mm oculusbraincenters.com, and um, how else they can find you on Instagram, Facebook, Yes, you can find us everywhere at Oculus Brain Centers. I'm happy to consult with anybody. We do a lot of consultations um, just for free. If I can give you any little tidbits or any uh, any little golden nuggets, you can always message yeah. me, and I'll try to give you as much as I can, um, you know, from a distance. But, yeah, at Oculus Brain Centers on all social media. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here today and sharing your time with our listeners. This has been a great discussion and I really do appreciate all that you are doing. Um, and oh, this, what a great up. topic. I'm so glad we touched on this today. Oh, me too, Amy. Thanks so much for having me and keep doing this um, really, really good work. Oh, thank you so much. I appreciate that. And thank you everyone for listening. I really hope you enjoyed this episode. You might have to go back and listen to it again Mm because I know I was writing tons of notes. Um, So just a reminder, you can always find past podcasts at basesoftbi.com. And you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Amy Zellmer. And don't forget to join Amy's TBI tribe on Facebook to connect with other survivors, caregivers, and loved ones. So thank you all for listening. Thank you for being a part of my journey. Have a great day, everyone, and I'll see you in the next episode.